go. That seems weird for vision that we go out of focus at the end. I don't, I don't know. That's kind of a, a bad little, uh, little omen. But no, we keep our focus. Hey, um, I'm going to go very quickly today. I do not want to keep you long, but I do want to recognize a couple of things. First, our uh, scouts are back here, uh, and they are, we, can, we call this Scout Sunday. You all may not know this, but Nicholson uh, charters a Boy Scout troop and a Cub Scout pack uh, here at the church. They meet every Tuesday. Um, whether or not you know it or not, um, and, and whether or not you, you feel this way, Nicholson has the charter. Um, Nicholson, you know, this is our troop and pack, all right? We are, we, we are you know, part in what they do. So every year, uh, usually on the first Saturday of February, or Sunday of February, they come and they uh, uh, just appreciate you all. So they've brought some donuts and some things back there, or some breakfast. Um, so please go back, thank them, and, and get to know them and, and meet them. We also had a Bible Bowl team, come, uh, Bible Bowl competition here yesterday, and uh, yeah, it was great. Our kids uh, did very, very well. We ended up having kind of a mock tournament at the end, and, and one of our teams came out at second place out of eight teams. It was really, really, really great. So uh, they're studying the book of Acts. We've got one more competition, so keep praying for these kids. Um, all right, so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we are going to spend our time in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to spend our time all in chapter one, so if you want to go ahead, go there, Drop your, your uh, bookmark. We'll get there in just a second. But know this, that it is also on the screen behind me, and it's on the back of your program. Before we do, many of you know that I'm a pretty big superhero nerd, right? Um, I am partial to Batman, right? Um, I know some of you are not, and nobody's perfect, okay? Just want you to remember that. Um, but in the world of these comics, Batman and Superman and, and Spider-Man, they all sort of reign supreme. But... We also have this influx of superhero movies that have introduced things like X-Men and Iron Man and Thor and all of these to the, to the fray and, and to casual fans more awareness. But one of my top five superheroes, many of you probably have not ever heard of the superhero, but one of my top five has always been Daredevil, right? So Daredevil is this red-suited hero who fights criminals with his two batons and various forms of martial arts. He's super aware of his surroundings, but fully human, without, with truly without any superhero powers, all right? As a lawyer by day, he tracks down criminal, criminals who escape justice at night. One key point here, though, Daredevil is blind. In an act of heroism as a young boy, he jumped into the street to rescue an old man hobbling in the way of an oncoming truck, and he was hit by the truck, and in only superhero way, it's toxic to cargo blinded him. But Daredevil can see what others can't. Daredevil's sight may be damaged, but his vision is not. Look at what it says. Uh, look at what Joel writes in Joel 2. After this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as the Lord promised, among the survivors, the Lord calls. Vision. And as he refers here in the context of dreams, but it's more than a dream of something. Vision is a relationship with God thing. Vision is that thing that drives us. It gives us motivation. 
right? It, it gives us direction and guidance. Vision is the thing that we measure all of our decisions and opportunities against. Now, when we began this series, I referred to a few ideas about vision because vision is indeed a relationship with God thing. But its vision is also a human thing, and vision is a church thing. But vision is also a God thing. And I want to share with you, I want to wrap up this series in a way that shows you how vision has always been a God thing. So we're going to do that. We're going to spend this week and the next two Sundays looking at the character of God's vision through God's characters found in the Old Testament. To illustrate the importance of purpose of vision, no example seems greater than that of the prophet Nehemiah. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. Now, on one hand, he's disposable, right? His job is to drink every drink the king does first. If he's poisoned, or if it's poisoned, Nehemiah is going to die. But on the other hand, he's wildly important because his job is to drink every drink that the king does first. If it's poisoned, Nehemiah will die first. How many of us can relate? Stuck in between two places, a real, real balancing act. So here is this, here's this Jewish slave in the city of his enemy, important enough to be close to the king, yet not important enough to be out of harm's way. And Nehemiah's brother, his brother arrives with news that Jerusalem is in ruins. So his brother says to him, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned. Now, even though Nehemiah's situation is dangerous with him him being the cupbearer, Scripture says he sat down and wept. Also that he mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens, because he says the situation of those still in Jerusalem are worse than than his own situation. Speaking of prayer, this is where we're going to spend most of our time today because the scripture passage I referred to a minute ago is a prayer that opens the book of Nehemiah. This is Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Listen as I read. Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and, keeps his, and keep his commands, Let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins we have committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles were banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. There are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. So for context, I need to give you a a bit of a spoiler here. All right? In Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah is going to ask the king for permission to go to Jerusalem and rebuild it. The king grants a slave, a captured enemy of his, permission to go and rebuild the wall. And he does this 
There's no good explanation other than this. He does this because God grants Nehemiah the vision he needs to accomplish what needs done. To explore vision that God gives Nehemiah, let's break this down. Let's break this prayer down. First, some really big takeaways I want you to take. Nehemiah is extremely passionate about the kingdom of God. If we love God and the advancement of his glory, do we really truly feel this way when the advance of the gospel is halted? Ask yourself that this morning. Nehemiah shows here that he has, has, he has a keen understanding of scriptures, and he wants to see the scriptures fulfilled. Look at the way he addresses God to begin this prayer. Three different greetings, each informed by scripture. As he closes verse 5, referring to God as the one who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. This will become very important as he gets to his request because he is asking God to do what he has promised to do. Nehemiah is appealing to God's faithfulness. Nehemiah is basing his prayer on some other Old Testament promises, Old Testament references. Specifically, I'm not going to take the time to read it now, but if you want to jot it down, specifically Deuteronomy 4, verses 25 to 31. In the context of Nehemiah's prayer, go back and read that. Nehemiah is living in the fulfillment of what God promised when he said he would scatter Israel. But he's asking God that he might live what God promised after the exile. Next, if you look at verses 6 and 7, Nehemiah requests that God hears his confession of sin. And after that, in verses 8 and 9, he calls God to remember the promises. So I ask myself, why is Nehemiah so emotionally affected before the prayer? I mean, it says he, weeped for, he wept for days. For days. This is why. Because he knows Scripture. Every passage of this prayer is referenced back to a previous section in God's Word. He trusts Scripture. Do you want the strength of character? Do you want the strength of character to look a desperate situation full in the face and have vision? Have the guts, have the strength to do something about it? Then you must leave no room for the enemy in your life. Fill your mind, your heart, and your being with God's Word. In verse 10, Nehemiah displays his great concern for God's people. He reaches out on behalf of them and, and his concern to God. He's calling God out basically for all of the things that God has allowed or has uh, the things that have happened in that city. So last week I shared that we're foolish to think that our friends and family, those closest to us, don't know how, don't know already what we feel truly about Jesus, what we really feel about the gospel. If we care more about the trivial things in our lives, maybe how our favorite football team does on a Saturday or a Sunday, than the spread of the gospel, it's probably because our identity is shaped more by the time we've spent watching and talking football than the time we have studying Scripture. Which do you know better, the roster, the stats, and the prospects of your favorite team or the contents of God's Word? What do you feel more passionate about, seeing your team to the Super Bowl or missionaries or those living to spread the good news of Jesus around the world? Which would you grieve more, your favorite 
binge-worthy TV show on Netflix being canceled or hearing about the persecution of a Christian in a far-off place. I'm asking these things, church, because I have to check my own heart. As I said, Nehemiah is in exile. And even though he is in the world, he is not of the world. He is in exile, but he has not become of the world. That's key. He doesn't mourn like those who have no hope. He mourns because at this time God's enemies have prevailed and because he loves God's kingdom more than life itself. Finally, in verse 11, he shares with God that he doesn't intend to stop with prayer. He intends to move into action. He asks God for success. And you know, when he does, he uses the same word in the original language that is found in Psalm 1, verse 3. And that word translates to whatever he does prospers. Nehemiah has been filling his mind, heart, and being with God's word. There is so much vision packed into this prayer. Nehemiah had vision for what God could do because he was familiar with who God was and the history of who God's been in the past. Nehemiah's vision toward the problem facing Jerusalem included his vision for possibilities of a solution. So this makes me wonder a little bit. When I see problems, or when you see problems, do we also see solutions? Do I see what could be and how God has shown up in the past? Do I pray expecting God to work again? Do I have vision? We can't see the world the way it is without the illumination of God's Word and the divine inspiration we receive from the Holy Spirit. Our vision can indeed be 2020 vision. I don't know about you, but without my contacts, I can't see three feet in front of myself. But we can find 2020 vision, but we have to have help. We can't do it on our own. We will see problems in the world, whether it's political, social, financial, or otherwise. But we can't see what we should do to change them without vision. We will see things weighing us down and the pain all around us, but we can't see how to make a difference without vision. We will struggle with our own misconceptions about the world, but we won't be able to overcome them without vision. Church, it is not as easy as I've laid it out to be today. All of this is drastically important, don't get me wrong. But Nehemiah faces opposition and hardship in the world. He is so desperate to help. Many would run, and actually next week we will examine a runner. Next week we'll look at Jonah. But what is so important here is that vision is a God thing. So are you listening to God this morning? Are you finding that vision that God has for your life? Reality is, if we're not spending time in God's Word, we may not have the opportunity to fully grasp and understand the vision God has for us. We had the awesome opportunity to sit with the life group uh, this past week, and there was a great illustration. I wish Jacob was here today. I, I totally, uh, totally tell him to, to stand up so you could hear, but... We basically, we were talking, a lot of, a lot of people in our group had step-parents or step-kids, or, and, and Jacob made a comment that, 
you know, in the stereotype world, a stereotypical world of how we feel about step parents, we treat God as a stepfather. But there is no truth in the way he treats us that way. We are not below God. You are all important to God. And if you do not see that God has placed vision in your life to make a big difference, spend time in his word. Find the character of vision that God has for you. In just a sec, we're going to come and we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to invite everyone to stand. And when you do, you'll come to the table that you're closest to. You can take the bread and the juice, return to your seat. And there you can pause. You can take as long as you need. Sit with your your head down, pray, talk to God. Ask God for vision if you feel you don't have any. And if you're someone in the room today that says, you know what, I need to respond in some way. I'd like to join Nicholson. I'd like to uh, learn more about what Nicholson has to offer. I'd love to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus. I'd like to, to continue in my walk through baptism. I'd like to bring that, I'd like to make that a, uh, a, a, a plan today. I'd like to stop waiting. So if that's you today, I'll be sitting up here. I'd love to talk with you. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the vision that you placed in Nehemiah's life for us as an example. Father, there's so much more to this story, and I wish, I wish we had time to explore the warfare and the opposition that comes his way, because Lord, I know I know there are hearts in this room that pray and they pray and they pray. And it's hard to remember in those moments that your timing is perfect. And it's also hard to remember that your answer to prayer is not always what we expect. But Father, be with these hearts as they come to grow closer to you and to commune with you through this act of communion. Father, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.